Welcome into another episode of a Cali Green Monster show. I'm your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you here from the Tesla Studios in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. It is Thursday, May 6, 2021, and we are almost through this week. We got ourselves a good show for you. As a kid who was a French-Canadian kid, you know, at least both of his parents are from Quebec, grew up playing hockey and watching hockey, you would assume that if I had a podcast one day where I would discuss sports, that hockey would be a hot topic that I do talk about. However, I feel like the most hockey that really ever gets discussed on the show is whenever I'm reviewing the Mighty Ducks Game Changers, and from what I can see on social media, not too many people talk about it, so I'm not even sure how much interest there is in game changers but I feel like hockey is so dope and some of the events that happened last night that look straight out of a scene from Slapshot I feel like it's worth discussing so I'm going to talk about you know the stuff that's been going on this week with the New York Rangers and the Washington Capitals I also want to talk about our old buddy Diego Sanchez, 16-year UFC veteran. You know, he has said some stuff in the past that, you know, this guy's a little a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but I feel like some of his most recent comments post-release from the UFC are a little troubling. So I definitely want to talk about that. And I also want to highlight that apparently WandaVision was going to have a different ending or there was going to be a character that was going to come in and influence the show in a way. And in a way that I thought would have made more sense and would have filled a little bit of the plot holes that WandaVision I felt left us. But alas, it would have been introducing the worst villain or the worst thing you could introduce to a show like WandaVision. Spoiler alert, it's a white guy. But before we talk about, you know, Diego Sanchez's crazy comments, before we talk about, you know, who they decided not to add to WandaVision at the end, let's talk about Tom Wilson and the Washington Capitals and the New York Rangers and and everything that led to basically uh, 72 penalty minutes in the first four minutes of the game last night. So this is all stemming from Tom Wilson his actions on Monday night where he was fined $5,000 in a scrum that left New York Rangers star Artemi Panarin injured and he wasn't even fined for the injury on Panarin he was actually fined for punching Pavel Bushnevich at the start of everything so if you see at the beginning of the scrum it's kind of like a scrum in front of the New York Rangers net and Bushnevich is like kind of like down on all fours he's like on his knees and Tom Wilson kind of gives him a suck punch to like the side of the head which was super dangerous and let's be real if that was caught on video on the streets that would be you know completely illegal and you're going to jail for that so already Tom Wilson that was kind of a scumbag move especially you know to the side slash back of the head of Bushnevich so and also hopefully I'm saying Bushnevich's name right I think I am but you know I think these Eastern European names are a little hard for your boy Cali Green Monster Eastern European names and some of the Asian names that pop up in the MMA world but so basically that set off a whole fight and Tom Wilson you know he's someone that you know on top of being a pretty good player you know I'd say he's a top six dude on the Washington Capitals he had recently signed a six-year 31 million dollar deal in 2018 after they won the Stanley Cup but in addition to being a good player you know he's considered more of a he's also an enforcer a dude that a lot of guys probably on the ice want to try to avoid so the Rangers like you know, jump this guy, there's a scrum, and 
Panarin, who's definitely more of a speed skill guy, not someone you would normally see in the middle of one of these scrums or dropping the gloves for a fight. He jumps on the back of Tom Wilson, and in the midst of all this action, Wilson kind of breaks from the pack, and it's just him and Panarin, and Panarin doesn't have a helmet, and Tom Wilson just, like, throws him to the ground and just kind of is, like, you know, slamming him against the ice. And apparently as a result of that, Panarin's going to be injured and he's going to miss the rest of the regular season, which, you know, in the Rangers on Saturday, they're apparently kicked out of playoff contention. So, you know, Panarin's now done for the season. So the Rangers are pretty upset that, you know, Tom Wilson only got fined $5,000 for that. And I think there was just a two minute and a 10 minute from that. So I think he came back into the game and he's a, he was available for last night's game against the Rangers. So the Rangers are pissed because, you know, it's Tom Wilson is not someone who's new to getting punished from the league for a multitude of reasons. And, you know, some of he's been suspended multiple times for dangerous hits. You know, just this season, he got suspended seven games for boarding Bruins Brandon Carlo. You know, he it was, you know, if you look at it. It was pretty. It was a quick bang bang play, but at the end of the day, he kind of hit him from behind and targeted Carlo's head. So I mean, that happened this season. And if we look all the way back from December 2013, he's been in trouble with the league for multiple things. So in 2013, he had a hearing on a hit from behind on I think it was like Braden Shen. There was he didn't end up getting a suspension or a penalty because they ruled that Shen put himself in a dangerous position, so they didn't, they took the fault away from Tom Wilson. But moving forward, you know, in 20, March of 2015, he was fined $2,000 for embellishment. In April of 2016, he was fined $2,400 for a knee-to-knee hit. In, in September of 2017, he was suspended two preseason games for an interference penalty. In October of 2017, he was suspended four regular season games for boarding. In March of 2018, suspended three playoff games for an illegal hit to the head that resulted in the broken jaw of Penguins' Zach Anton Reese. In October of 2018, he was suspended 20 games for a hit to the head, and that's but that suspension was repealed to 14 games. This was to Oilers' Oscar Sundquist. So, you know, just with that history of Tom Wilson being in trouble, you know, the Rangers were very upset that nothing happened. And in a statement, the Rangers basically called, you know, said that, the way the NHL handled it was was inappropriate and that the head of the NHL player safety, George Peros, they basically said he's unfit to continue holding this position and was basically calling for George Peros to be fired. I thought this was pretty wild, you know, because it's pretty crazy in, in a major sports where there's all the time that, you know, calls happen that go against a team and you know presidents and general managers have to make a statement about how they might disagree with something but it's kind of wild to actually hear that they're calling for the resignation of you know one of the executives in the NHL George Peros is someone that I'm familiar with because you know when I was watching a you know majority of my hockey watching career you know was in high school and college you know and earlier of course but you know he was part of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks when they won the Stanley Cup in 2007. You know, he's a big, like, enforcer-type player. You know, he's, like, six foot five. you know, but he's also a smart dude. So, for, for, you know, people thinking that, oh, a big enforcer on the ice, probably not a smart guy. You know, George Peros 
went to Princeton. So he played hockey in Princeton, had a career in the NHL. And that's probably what got him that, you know, this position is that he's an educated dude. And I think that it was definitely kind of uncalled for that, you know, the Rangers calling for this dude to be fired over this situation. You might disagree with it, but I feel like it was definitely... I don't know, kind of Bush League from the New York Rangers. You should have a little bit more class. But then again, this is in the sport where you also know that like going into Wednesday's night, Wednesday night's game with the Rangers in Washington, that stuff was going to go down because, you know, this is the one sport where you're allowed to basically have a fist fight in the middle of the game and it results in just a slap on the wrist. So that's what happened Wednesday night. As soon as the puck dropped, Basically, everyone on the ice just dropped the stick and gloves and started going at it. It was literally like a scene from the movie Slapshot. There was, you know, it was all over Twitter, it was all over social media. And I mean, that's one of the things I think people who like hockey and especially if fans of old school hockey appreciate about about the NHL and hockey in general is that the players basically police themselves. That's one of the reasons why they're allowed to you know, fist fight, especially when they've got knives on their feet, you know, basically skating. They got knives on their feet and they're fist fighting. They're allowed to do it. And it's just part of the culture in hockey. You know, I think that I learned back in the day that one of the reasons why they allow them to fist fight is because, you know, it's better that they punch with their fist than tensions boil over and now you got these guys who have sticks which are basically weapons so you don't want them using their sticks or their skates as a weapon so it's like you know what i guess the lesser of the evils is a fist so that's why i think at the end of the day with the rangers trying to call for george peros to be fired where like i mean do they have any other grounds of him you know completely messing up a decision or showing that he was inept or not fit for the position because if this was the only case then i feel like you know it was definitely uncalled for and what happened last night is what should happen you know it's like they you know it's like it, it resulted in 141 total penalty minutes but i'm pretty sure that you know, and they're probably going to have a rivalry going forward. But considering that the end, the season is, is ended, and I feel like, or at least it's ended for the Rangers. You know, the Capitals, they're tops in their division. They're going to be moving on to the playoffs. But at least they basically, you know, police the situation themselves. You know, you got to give the Rangers at least the players credit. You know, they stuck up for Panarin and Bushnevich when that happened on Monday night. And then on Wednesday night, they showed that they're not going to be pushed around. And, you know, so it's definitely something that, you know, I think on CNN, on one of their articles, it's just like, oh, like hockey game marred by ugly fighting and it's like you know what you just obviously don't get it and you know I think fans of hockey we appreciate that and it's like at the end of the day I'd rather the players police themselves out there than you know just handing out suspensions and fines and all that stuff you know and I think that you know when some people are like oh you know players policing themselves it's like you know, it's is 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 a kind of like a double standard that it's allowed in hockey, but like in baseball, for example, I'm against like pitchers, you know, throwing at batters and then retaliating that way. It's like I feel like that's chicken shit because it's that's just basically a pitcher throwing a ball at a dude. That's not like an equal, you know, we're going toe to toe. At least I feel like with the NHL it's like you're at least you know when they're fighting like that it's like you're face to face and there's nothing really dirty about it and I feel like it's a general understanding that it's a part of the game so you know what 
if you ask for my opinion, if if I think that stuff like that is good or bad for the game. As long as it's not excessive, you know, I'm down to see, you know, people drop the sticks, take off their gloves, and get after it, man. That's hockey. All right, so let's talk about our boy Diego Sanchez. You know, Diego Sanchez is a 16-year UFC veteran. He's... You know, he's had a lot of fights in his MMA career. He's had 30 wins total and 13 losses. And his UFC record is 19 wins and 13 losses. You know, he was the season one Ultimate Fighter champion against Kenny Florian. You know, he's challenged for the UFC lightweight champion against BJ Penn. So he's he's definitely been around. If you're a fan of UFC, you've definitely heard of Diego Sanchez. And, you know, I think he's someone that definitely garners respect from the sport. You know, he's someone that always brings it. You know, he usually backs up his talk. He's full. He, he fights with high pace, high energy. And, you know, I think it was it was him versus what's his name? The guy from Strike Force. Um, Gilbert Melendez. I remember those two had a war back in 2013. You know, like Diego Sanchez versus Clay Guida back in 2009. That was a sick ass fight. And you know, even when he lost against BJ Penn, I mean, he brought it. And it wasn't until BJ Penn basically blasted his shin against Diego Sanchez's forehead and busted his forehead like wide open that the ref had to stop the fight. But I mean, I don't. It wasn't that like Diego Sanchez gave up. I mean, the ref had to stop the fight so I mean Diego Sanchez is a warrior in every sense of the word you know he was supposed to be fighting Cowboy Cerrone on Saturday night but he was pulled from the fight and then eventually released by the UFC and I guess what happened is that Diego Sanchez and his manager had asked for his medical records from the past 16 years and I guess this alarmed the UFC because they're like well why are you asking for your medical records? Is everything cool? So when they asked Diego Sanchez for evidence that he's not suffering from any long-term medical or health issues, they couldn't basically provide that evidence. So they cut him because they were like, dude, we don't want to be putting Diego Sanchez out there if he's suffering from something. And honestly, the comments that he's made since that has really been kind of alarming you know when people talk about i remember some of the arguments with cte and people being like whether mma or boxing is safer and some people being like oh like there's so much more cte in boxing compared to mma and you know because boxing all the punching is to the head where mma the 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 damage is evenly distributed and I always thought that was such like an ignorant way of thinking you know it's like first off we have over a hundred years of boxing and people going old from being boxers and seeing their hands shaking and seeing how fucked up they get you know as good as Muhammad Ali is look how terrible you know the latter half of his life was and MMA has only been around for a couple of decades, so we really don't have a list of, you know, aging UFC veterans up until now. And, you know, I feel like we're going to start to see more and more evidence that, you know, some of all these, not just the wars that we see on the screen, on pay-per-view, on the UFC fight nights that we see that these guys are taking damage, these guys are having you know, epic training, like sparring sessions. And, you know, if you're going to be training your stand-up, you're going to get clocked in the head, like, more than dozens of times. Like, I don't even know how the hundreds of times, thousands of times Diego Sanchez has probably been hit in the head or anyone that trains MMA in that matter. So I think it's very naive and ignorant to think that MMA people can't get CTE. Now, 
you know, because I'm going to read some of the statements from Diego Sanchez that, you know, it's basically he thinks that the UFC or someone is potentially going to go out there and try to kill him, you know, and that could be just, you know, wacky Diego. He's, you know, I remember I think on the Ultimate Fighter, he was summoning the oncoming thunderstorm to help power him to victory and he said some crazy stuff he's gone from the nightmare to the dream and says all this you know and crazy chanting like yes like right before he's about to fight like all this stuff but this kind of you know so it could just be that but it also just seems like someone who's like super paranoid like abnormally paranoid you know when you hear people who are schizophrenics you hear them talking like this so this is what Diego Sanchez was quoted and this was from an interview that he had on Sirius XM's MMA Today so this is Diego Sanchez I want to tell you guys frankly right now I'm fearful for my motherfucking life I'm fearful that this company, this billion-dollar monopoly company worldwide is going to come after me. Something might happen to me in two years, maybe in a couple years. Maybe I wreck my truck. Maybe, oh, Diego overdosed, some suicide shit. I don't know, but I would not be put anything past the level of evil that is within this corporation. He continues, if I was to expose some of the stuff that I know about, because I've been in this motherfucker longer than anybody else and been the only one that survived the bitch that went through the dark tunnel and came out the other side. So, you know, he just kind of goes on to how the UFC kind of left him at the airport after one of his fights the pa- this past year and that he's been, you know, at the UFC's Performance Institute in Vegas for the past two years trying to get a meeting with Dana White and Diego's claiming that you know Dana's not taking meetings with him and he feels extremely disrespected considering that he was you know part of the ultimate fighter season one and you know the narrative ever since that season especially with the fight with Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin is that the season one of the ultimate fighters what really saved the UFC so I feel like Diego Sanchez played a part of that season and ultimately being one of the winners of that season feels probably responsible for you know, the UFC eventually going public and being this multi-billion dollar company that it is now. And I mean, he's his whole career has, you know, gone, has been through the UFC's golden age and into the present day. And when you think about that, I think the average UFC fighter, when you think about it, is only has a career of about three to four years continuously because they cut people after three or four losses in a row. And when you're fighting against the best competition over and over again, it's hard to be able to sustain that level of success. You know, Diego Sanchez was, you know, 19 and 13. He was well over a 500 record in the UFC and he has the longevity. But what's kind of, you know, I think a, a warning and kind of the message and take home thing that you can take with this Diego Sanchez situation is you look at Diego Sanchez he's had honestly one of the most successful careers in the grand scheme of things that you could really hope for you know if you're planning on trying to be an MMA fighter or go in the UFC or try to make your career to fighting if you could have a career that was as successful as Diego Sanchez you know challenging for a title oh a decade and a half in the top fighting promotion in the world you know you would, I think people would be happy with that. But Ben Folks from The Athletic, you know, he's one of my favorite MMA writers and journalists. He used to be part of MMA Junkie. He wrote an interesting article kind of highlighting that 
the sad truth of the aging MMA fighter that, you know, these, the, these gyms basically lose interest in these fighters as they age and kind of aren't their potential starts to run out. And he highlights, you know, Spencer Fisher as someone towards the end of his career, he had a fight with Jeremy Stevens coming up and he didn't even have any coaches to help hold mitts for him or how, Donald Calber Cerrone eventually had a falling out with Winkle John and Jackson and in New Mexico and talked about how, you know, once his career started getting older and he started not getting talked about for title shots anymore, that the attention to Cerrone became less and less. And he eventually moved his camp to the bad motherfucker ranch, wherever he is. So his own training camp. So even Donald Cerrone, you know, Spencer Fisher was a big name when I first started watching UFC. And now you look at Diego Sanchez, how that how his situation's working out. And, you know, so it's if you look at someone like that where, you know, Cerrone or Diego, guys that had given so much to the sport, have made so much money in the sport, have a lot of accolades in the sport, all this stuff. It's like if they're still coming out at the end of the career feeling used, feeling bitter, it's almost like there's there's not much window i guess for that glory and success that you see from some of these people you know because i guess for every george st pierre you know there's like dozens and dozens of broken dudes that end up with no money and you know end up feeling used from a sport that they like so you know that's the thing mma and cage fighting and ufc all that stuff it's something that i describe as it's a spectator sport man because that's just you know you're just destroying your body so you know it's sad to see some of these dudes that you know we grow up watching and seeing give giving pieces themselves and leaving it in the octagon every single time it's sad to see the situation play out the way it does hopefully diego sanchez will be fine in the at the end of the day and get some help and you know, hopefully, you know, because I feel like he's definitely talking not normal and he definitely sounds like someone that needs some help. All right. And before I get out of here, switching out of sports and MMA, I kind of want to talk a little bit about some Marvel and WandaVision just because, you know, that was a show that I covered a couple months ago while it was, you know, while they were putting new episodes out weekly. And one of the things at the end of the episode or at the end of the season and one of the problems I had with the whole show is that in here, spoilers, if you haven't seen WandaVision and plan to watch it or don't want to hear anything about it, I'm going to be talking about some stuff, so that's your spoiler warning. But the thing is, is that when Wanda has this whole town hostage and all this stuff's going on and the government agents are, don't know how to handle this and they just seem so baffled, like, how do we handle the situation? How do we get through to Wanda? How do we communicate with her? And at no point do they say that, should we bring any of the Avengers over? Should we call up, I don't know, Doctor Strange, someone that has the powers and the and is like a wizard and can do all the stuff and could probably actually do something with Wanda, someone that actually could maybe not match her powers because I think Wanda's more powerful, but could probably do something. So it's pretty interesting earlier this week that, you know, I think it was with an interview with Kevin Feige, the president of Marvel Studios. I guess the original intention was to have Doctor Strange kind of show up in WandaVision and try to communicate with her and basically kind of help resolve what's going on. But I guess what Kevin Feige said is that he didn't want to take away from Wanda and he didn't want at the end of the day it to be like, here's this white guy to show you how power works. 
And I think it's really shitty that that's how it had to be viewed is that no, it's not Doctor Strange, one of the most powerful Avengers, one of the people that uses a similar type of power or is in the same kind of sphere of like superpowers for him to maybe come and help her out, which would make complete sense. And if anything, the absence of Doctor Strange was more confusing. But instead, it's like, no, we can't because oh, it's a white guy. Like, I feel like it's just a lazy being like, oh, that's racist or that's sexist. And it's like, so now they had to change the story because they didn't want Doctor Strange to take away from Wanda, which made them had to rewrite parts of Doctor Strange to fit now the new ending of of WandaVision. I just think it's, you know, that's kind of disappointing to hear, you know, especially because it's like, I don't know. I felt like one of the one issues that I had with WandaVision is that no Avengers or anyone gave a shit that an entire town was held hostage. It was almost like they were all taking a siesta after they fought Thanos. So, you know, come on. You know, not everything's sexist. Not everything's racist. You know, so I just kind of wanted to highlight that, you know, at least... You know, the, the writers and the people had the intentions of bringing in an adventure and more specifically Doctor Strange. And that makes more sense. What doesn't make sense is this world where, you know, someone calls out that, you know, oh, we can't who can't have a, the evil white guy show up and save the day. It's fucking silly. Oh, well. I appreciate everyone that takes the time to download and listen to this show. You know, if you enjoyed what you listened to, be a friend, tell a friend. But until next time, I've been your host, Dean Ryan. This has been a Cali Green Monster show coming to you from the Tesla Studios in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. Have a great one, guys. Peace. <laughs>